Well, I'm convinced that there is a growing misunderstanding both inside and outside the church concerning who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what Jesus meant by what Jesus said, and specifically a misunderstanding about the significance of what Jesus accomplished for us when he died on the cross. Now, this is a misunderstanding that exists in both inside and outside the church, and I think that it's fueling and has been fueled by uh, the church's misrepresentation of who Jesus is, what Jesus said, what Jesus meant by what he said, and the church's misrepresentation in some circles about the significance of what Jesus accomplished. And because there's this misunderstanding and because there's this misrepresentation on part of the church in some circles uh, to those who don't believe, there are so many people, an increasing amount of people, a troubling amount of people who have decided to stay away from faith and to walk away from faith. And, and this is such a significant thing because we live in a world now where so many people, a growing amount of people, an increasing amount of people, their conclusion is that their life would be better off without faith, that their life would be better off without God, without Jesus, without Christianity, and without the church. And so they're staying away from faith and they're walking away from faith. And that is the world that we live in. But this was also the world that Jesus stepped into. And when Jesus stepped into the first century, uh, there were Jewish people and there were pagan people. And the Jewish people had a plethora of laws and the pagans had a plethora of gods. But both groups of people had an increasing amount of people within both of those camps who felt disconnected from God and disenfranchised with their belief system. So a lot of people in Jesus's day were considering walking away from faith if they had not already walked away from faith because they sensed no relationship with God, no connection to God. Their faith system didn't seem personal. Their faith system didn't seem beneficial. It seemed pointless and it seemed empty. And Jesus stepped into that world and Jesus announced something startling and a bit offensive. Jesus announced that there, there was a new day that had come upon the world and that Jesus had come to announce something new and something better. And in the minds of the Jewish people, they knew that there was such a thing as this covenant with Moses and it was known as the old covenant. And so this old covenant was announced by Jesus to be over. It was ended. It was made null, made void. And that Jesus had announced to the world that he came to start something new, a new covenant, something that was new and better than the old. And so Jesus said, there was an old covenant, but it is no longer because I have come to inaugurate a new covenant. When I go to the cross and I die for your sins and I die for the sins of the world, I am inaugurating, I'm starting a brand new covenant. And what you need to know about this new covenant is, it is over for the old and it's a brand new day with the new. And so Jesus announced this new covenant and the thing that made this new covenant so significant and so much better than the old was one word and it was grace. And John, one of the followers of Jesus, uh, we looked at these verses last week. John said this about Jesus in talking about this old covenant, this old way of relating to God, this old regime, this old mindset, the laws of Moses. And he's talking about the old versus the new. And this is what John said. He said, for the law was given through Moses. That's the 10 commandments. That's all the other commandments. That's all the commandments that we talked about last week. If you were here, if you weren't here, you can go online, you can check it out. But it's all the other commandments on top of the 10. And the law was God's standard for his people. And God demanded perfection. God demanded holiness and righteousness because don't miss, miss this. Because God is holy and because God is righteous, he required holiness and righteousness from his people. So he gave to them a law, a 
code, a code of conduct, a law that they were to govern themselves as a nation and govern themselves as a people. And so John says for the law, all of those commandments in the old covenant, they came through Moses on Mount Sinai. But in contrast to that, Something new has happened. Grace and truth has come through Jesus. And so automatically he begins to point us in the direction of the old covenant versus the new covenant. And he begins to get us thinking about what was so significant about the old and what is so significant and different about the new. And so the old covenant of Moses versus the new covenant of Jesus. And so this is what we said last week. The old covenant was a conditional covenant with Israel. Now, I cannot overstate the importance of understanding this because if you don't understand that the old covenant was a covenant with one particular group of people, an ethnic group of people, a nation, a nation that we call the Jewish nation, the old covenant, the laws that God gave Moses, this agreement that God entered into with Israel, no one else but Israel, not the world, not Gentiles, not other nations, just Israel. The old covenant was a conditional covenant. God said, I will bless you, I will favor you, I will protect you if you obey. And so this covenant was based on how well they could perform based on the laws that God had given them. How many check boxes that they could check off. And God says, if you do what you're supposed to do, I will do what I have promised to do. It was a conditional covenant based on law. But then Jesus came, grace and truth, and the new covenant was an unconditional covenant. And this sense of unconditional covenant, it means that it had nothing to do with how well you could behave or not behave. It has nothing to do with the commandments that you can keep or the commandments that you break. It is unconditional because it's not ultimately what you do for God that matters. It's what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is the new covenant. It is an unconditional covenant based on, and talk to me, what's this word? Grace. And grace was the one word that made the new covenant better than the old. And when Jesus showed up, he announced a new covenant that the old was over. It was done with. It was made null and void that there was a new covenant and he was the one who authored it and he was the one who announced it. Now, when Jesus taught about grace and Jesus would tell all these stories about grace that we talked about last week about this employer who paid you know, the, the workers that worked all day and then he paid the workers who showed up at the last minute. He paid them all the same because God's not a God who pays wages. He's a God who gives gifts. And we talked about how the father who had a wayward son, a prodigal son who wandered off into a far country, but when he came back, he welcomed him back freely, no loopholes, no strings attached. And he welcomed him back in the family. And Jesus would tell these stories of grace. Jesus was often misunderstood. And when people listened to Jesus, they often accused him and thought of him as having more grace than truth. But John said that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. That means that Jesus never sacrificed grace for the sake of truth, and he never sacrificed truth for the sake of grace. Now, we do that all the time, and churches do that all the time. Some churches will sacrifice grace for the sake of truth. We're gonna stand on the truth, we're gonna cry about the truth, and we're gonna declare the truth because the truth will stand when the world's on fire. Go truth. And they will sacrifice grace, and they will mistreat people, and judge people, and malign people, 
and insult people and unlove people all for the sake of truth. And so some folks, they will sacrifice grace for the sake of truth, but then some churches and some Christians, they will sacrifice truth for the sake of grace to say, go ahead, do what you wanna do, do it with who you wanna do it with, however you wanna do it just as long as it makes you happy. And so we'll sacrifice truth for the sake of grace and we're not gonna judge you and you know anything goes and whatever you want to do. But Jesus wasn't any of those ways. Jesus was both full of grace and truth. And when people listened to Jesus though, they didn't hear full grace and full truth. When people listened to Jesus, they heard more grace than truth. Matter of fact, for the religious people, the religious Jewish people that listened to Jesus, they heard almost entirely grace and very little truth. Most of them were convinced, this guy talks a lot about this grace stuff that it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how you live. God says, I forgive you, I love you no matter what, but it's like, I don't think he ever talks about truth. And so Jesus offended people. Now think about that, Jesus. Jesus offended people by this message of grace. And when he talked about grace, people were made uncomfortable. People were made uncomfortable with Jesus talking about grace. They didn't like it. And there was lots of questions, you know, well, what if, and what are you gonna say about this? And what about that? And they were just uncomfortable. And some people got angry with Jesus. They got angry with Jesus. They got angry with his words. They got angry at him. They were so angry. And some were just confused. They, they didn't, they really didn't make sense what Jesus was trying to say. And they would be like, okay, are you saying you're for something or are you saying you're against something? Are you condoning this or are you condemning this? We really can't figure out what you're trying to say because it, it's just not clear. And, and so there were people who misunderstood Jesus. There were people who were made uncomfortable by Jesus. They were confused by his words and angered by his words because we have an innate resistance to grace. That was true then, it was true now. Now, much to my surprise, I have gotten more negative feedback on this series than any other series in the history of my being here in 13 years. The majority of which signed by gutless wonders who won't put their name on it, and that's okay. Some put their name on it, and I appreciate that, and I admire that, and, and I love to hear feedback. But some who don't even put their name on it, because we're still in a day where we're made uncomfortable by grace. Some of us get angered by it. Some of us, we just don't know what to make of it because sometimes grace doesn't close all the circle for us. And it seems like there's a back door and it seems as though there's a loophole. And so Jesus, he met with such resistance to grace because there's something in me, there's something in all of us that sometimes grace is something we push back against. And so in Jesus's day, here was the debate. Is he pro-law or anti-law? Is he pro-Moses or anti-Moses? Is he pro-Old Covenant or is he anti-Old Covenant? And that was really the debate in the hearts and the minds of the Jewish religious people. And so Jesus, he would say things like this. Don't think, because some of you do, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. Come on now, you're listening to me, but you're misrepresenting me, Jesus would say. I don't think that. I have not come to abolish them, but don't miss this. I have come to fulfill them. In other words, Jesus said everything that was in the law, it leads to me and it ends with me. Those things were the shadow, I am the substance. And don't miss the significance of this. Jesus said, that has been done. That is fulfilled. That day of law is over, rover. It's done with. Put some wrapping on it, put a bow on it, and file it in a shelf because that is the old covenant. There is something new. There is something better. I have fulfilled it. And the law, 
the law. It fulfilled its purpose. What was the purpose of the law? It taught us, all of us, what was already within our hearts and what has been in our hearts the whole time, that we are sinners against God and sinners against each other, that we are rebels in our heart against God, that we will hurt ourselves, we will hurt each other, we will hurt the heart of God to get what we want, even though it's not supposed to be what we're supposed to have. And that's what the law did. It was a tutor. It was a schoolmaster. It served its purpose. It was an impossible standard to show us we're guilty. Because if we realize that we're guilty, guilt will awaken our need for grace. And we will throw ourselves upon the grace of God because we will realize that we cannot keep the law. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be acceptable before God. We can't be good enough to be lovable. We can't be good enough to be blessed. We can't be good enough to be favored, to be anointed, to be all of those things. And so Jesus said, that day is over. The old covenant has been done away with. I fulfilled it. And so we talked about how the church was born. And when the church was born, it was all Jewish people. And that wasn't a problem. But then there started to be Gentiles to come into the church. And Gentiles, they didn't believe in the law. They didn't even know the law. They couldn't even name the Ten Commandments. They didn't know Adam and Eve. They didn't know Noah. They never read the Old Testament. And so here's all these Gentiles, they're coming into the church, and so there was a big debate. Do these Gentiles have to keep the law of Moses? Do they have to be obedient to the old covenant in order to be a follower of Jesus in the new covenant? And we talked about how there was a business meeting, Acts chapter 15, so significant. If you weren't here, you can read it. If you don't believe me, read it for yourself. And the apostles, the leaders of the church, they declared that once and for all, that Christianity has departed ways with Judaism that the old covenant has been done away with and the Gentiles have no moral responsibility to the law in order to be acceptable, to be loved, to be favored, to be anointed by God. It was made null and void. It was fulfilled by Jesus. It had served its purpose for its season, but it's over. There is something brand new. And so they declared that Gentiles did not have to keep the law of Moses. And publicly and officially, the church parted ways with the old covenant. And then Paul would write, and this is where we left off and this is where we're jumping back in today. Paul would write a letter to a group of Christians to clarify this and to try to make it clear once again. And it's gonna get us to what we're gonna talk about today. And so here's what Paul says in reference to all of that. He says, but now, because it used to be one way, but now it's a different way. But now, against the law, apart from the law, that's the old covenant. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. In other words, if we would have just read the law and the prophets and paid attention to the law and prophets, you would understand that God was pointing us to this the whole time. God even announced in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, that behold, the days are coming, thus saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, a new covenant, and I will not write laws upon the stone. I will write them upon the hearts of men and women. And so even in the Old Testament, the old covenant, God predicted that there would be a new covenant, a day when the old covenant would be made void and null. And so he goes on, he says, this righteousness or this being right with God is given through faith, not obedience to the law, not in keeping the Mosaic covenant, not in keeping what he taught in Exodus or Deuteronomy or Leviticus, not in any of those things, but through faith in Jesus to all who believe. Because we talked about it last week, the 10 commandments, all the other commandments, there were people who were clean and unclean. There were all these things that you could do and you couldn't do. And he says, now it has nothing to do with any of those commandments of what you do and don't do. Because now you're made right because of your faith in Jesus. That Jesus, who was a law keeper, he died for law breakers. That's you and me. So us law breakers could be treated as though we were a law keeper, even though we are not law keepers. And it was grace. That was grace. That was mercy. That was the message 
of Paul and of Jesus. And he says, there's now no difference between Jew or Gentile. We're all equal. This old covenant deal that he made with Israel, done, over. Now this is a new covenant with whosoever will believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God or the standard of God. We've all broken the law of God, every single one of us. There's no big sin, no little sin. So don't emphasize one sin over another. It's all sin, no big sinners, no little sinners, just sinners. We're all in it together, all in the same boat. We've all fallen short, Paul says. He said, but the good news is this. We are all then freely justified. All of us are freely justified by his what? His grace through the redemption that came by who? Jesus Christ, not because of what you did for God, not because of your good behavior or your law keeping, but because of what Jesus did on your behalf at the cross. He that knew no sin became sin for us that we could be right with God. That Jesus lived a perfect life because you couldn't and I couldn't. He died in our place because the death belonged to us because we were imperfect. And though we were imperfect, we have been treated as though we were perfect because the perfect one died in the place of the imperfect. And this was the message of grace. This was the good news of the church. It's free. It cost you nothing. You didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to behave. You didn't have to keep a commandment. You didn't have to keep a law. He did it for you. And so it's justification. And we said last week that justification is this. It's just as if I never sinned. That's how God sees me now. Think about that. Just as if I never sinned. That's how God sees you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've placed your faith in Christ. God looks at you and it's as though you've never sinned. <laughs> and I just want to say time out. For those of us who've racked up a lot of sin miles, that's good news. That if he looks at me, and he doesn't see me as the sinner that I am, but he sees me just as if I never sinned. That's what Paul's saying. This is why grace is so scandalous. This is why this is such good news, but it's even better than just as if I never sinned. Because you know what God knows? God knows everything. God knew your sin that you would commit before you came to faith, and he would know all the sin that you would commit after you came to faith, and you know what he did? He still said, it's just as though you never sinned. It doesn't matter how much you sinned before and it doesn't matter how much you sin after. It's just as if when I see you, I see you through the eyes of what Christ did for you and you are to me as a perfect son and a perfect daughter. So quit worrying about are you okay with God? If you're a follower of Jesus, quit getting at the end of the day saying, I hope I did good today. I hope God was pleased. I hope God still loves me. I hope he, you know, I hope he favors me. I hope he blesses me. I hope I did good enough to get anointed. I hope, I hope, I hope. Paul says, would you get over that? That's old covenant thinking. You're trying to add up the score at the end of the day to see if God's happy and if God's pleased. He said, no, no, no. God is happy. God is pleased at the end of every day with you, not because of you, but because of what Jesus did for you. And to which we should say, thank God. Bless God. That's good news. Paul said, exactly, exactly. So he kept the law for us because we couldn't keep the law. And so last week we said this and it made us all uncomfortable, right? Paul's point is you can't out the grace of God. And we were like, oh, I agree, but I don't want to. I think it's true, but I wish you would say something. No, let's just leave it there. You can't out the grace of God. You, me, 
We? You put all of our sin together and you can't out the grace of God. No matter how low sin takes you, the grace of God will plunge lower still. You can't out the grace of God and God says we're okay. Because of what Jesus did for you, I want you to know there's nothing you're ever gonna do that's gonna get you out with me. I'm gonna bless you not because you were good, I'm gonna bless you because of what Jesus did. I'm gonna bless you because of what Jesus did. I'm gonna accept you because of what Jesus did. I love you because of what Jesus did. I'm gonna anoint you because of what Jesus did. You're not gonna get more of me because you were better today than you were yesterday. <laughs> that is good news. And that's what set Christianity apart. That's why people said this is too good to be true, but if it's true, it's so much better. You can't outsend the grace of God. And so Paul goes on, he says, where then? Is boasting, is it excluded because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain, and this, this, is, this is like the confession of the church. This is, this is what we hold on to. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, not keeping the law, not obeying, not behaving well, but by faith apart from the works of the law because the law is done. It is over. It was fulfilled that day over done with, followed away. And this was good news, but <laughs> good news is often yet offensive. And people were offended. And we get so offended and so bothered by this, you can't out the grace of God and we're not saved by works and all this. And it's like, we're thinking, but what if? And well, are you saying this? Are you not saying that? Well, what are you gonna do with this verse? What are you gonna do with that verse? So here's what happens to us. We all get tempted to try to mingle back in law with grace. We receive God's gift of grace, free forgiveness, but then in time, we always wanna mingle back law with grace because we want structure and we deal better with lists and we want to know what is right, what is wrong, what is sin. I want Jesus to talk about it. I want Paul to talk about it. I want it to be clear. And then we try to bring back in law and grace and Paul said, that's a dangerous thing. That's a bad thing to try to bring back faith and works, to try to mingle the old covenant with the new covenant. And this is what happened when we talked about last week, when they were trying to tell the people from Antioch, you gotta be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus. They made the public announcement in Acts chapter 15, but this type of thing kept rearing its ugly head over and over and over again. Paul helped start a church in a city called Galatia. After he left, a group of people came to town and they began to teach a group of Gentile Christians, hey, Congratulations, you're a follower of Jesus. You've received his grace, but let us tell you, you can't really follow Jesus unless you also obey the Mosaic covenant, unless you also surrender, submit, obey, and keep the law of God. And so they were teaching people, we're gonna, we're gonna mix law and grace and we're gonna put it together because a group of people refused to fully embrace the new covenant and they were trying to hold on to the old because they held on to the old because it was comfortable for them, it was easy for them, it was something that made them feel comfortable and so they tried to hold on to the old while embracing the new. And so here's what Paul said. He wrote to the church and he says, it is then for freedom that Christ has set us free. <laughs> Don't miss this. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by yoke of slavery. Now time out. If your version of faith doesn't make you feel free, you do not understand faith in Jesus. If coming to faith in Jesus doesn't make you feel free, then you don't understand what it's like to follow Jesus. Now, 
Here's what I know for those of us who grew up in church. It seldom ever felt like at invitation time that they were inviting us to freedom, right? At the end of the service, when they just, you know, got just as I am queuing up over there on the piano, they, it wasn't like the pastor got up there and says, we're free, we're free, come get you some, come on. <laughs> now he wasn't smiling. It felt like a somber, mournful, tearful time where we had to say goodbye to all the good and fun things that life had to offer to go be a sad sack, <laughs> miserable follower of Jesus where life is just full of troubles and trials. And since I met Jesus, I'll tell you, it's been the hardest thing, but would you like to come? <laughs> would you like to come and get some of what I got? That's what it felt like. But Paul said, this is freedom that we've been invited into. Listen, Jesus showed up and he looked at people who were frustrated, weary, guilt-ridden, exhausted. Why? Because they were trying to keep the law of which they could never keep anyway. Religion was exhausting them. Religion was frustrating them. And what did Jesus say? Come to me. Come to me, all of you who are exhausted, weary, and burdened by trying to be a law keeper. And come after me, and I will give you what? Rest. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. And Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. And so Paul goes on and Paul says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, and circumcision was just another way of talking about the old covenant. So when he's talking about circumcision, he's talking about the Mosaic law, he's talking about the old covenant. He says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you. In other words, if you trust in anything other than Jesus, that anything else other than Jesus, that it will make you lovable, acceptable, blessed, accepted, favored, whatever it is. If you're trusting in anything else that's gonna get God's attention other than what Jesus has done for you, you have made Jesus and what he did on the cross of no effect. If you make it about law, you are setting aside the significance of Jesus's accomplishment on the cross. If you try to make it about the law and keeping the law and we're still under law, he says, listen, you're setting it all aside. You're setting it aside because they had misunderstood how free the New Testament was. They had trusted in something else other than Jesus. And he said, you are casting aside Jesus. And then he says to them, he says, again, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised. Now this is, don't miss this. He is obligated to obey the whole law. He says, you can't pick. Now this is so, listen to me. Please zone in for just a moment. You can't pick and choose what parts of the law that you want to live by. You can't create your nice little silos and say, well, this is this type of law and this type of law, but God set us free from this type of law, but this type of law is eternal. No, he says, if you're gonna pick one law to live by, you gotta pick them all. You can't pick one verse here and ignore the verse on you can't plant two seeds in the garden side by side. You can't pick one verse over here about what you think is a big sin and ignore the fact that you got on a polyester blend. You can't ignore it. You gotta follow the dietary laws. You gotta follow the gardening laws. You gotta follow it all. If you're gonna try to do a part, you gotta keep the whole. And the bad news about that is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was also a rabbi, said, if you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. So Paul's logic is this. If you can't keep the law anyway, and if you break one part of the law and you're guilty of it all, pray tell me why you want to keep any of it. That's just dumb. 
in Paul's mind and Paul's theology. So he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you're trying to get God to love you, get God accepted, you're at the end of the day trying to keep score and you think you're more anointed because you were better behaved, you think you're gonna be better blessed because you're better behaved, you think God's gonna love you because you're better behaved. He says, you have been alienated from Christ and you have fallen away from grace. You've gotten away from what makes the new covenant so much better than the old. You've just missed the entire point. You think you're okay with God because of what you're doing, but it's not about your behaving or doing. It's what Jesus has done. So attempting to be right by doing something for God is to cast aside grace. And so Paul says it as clear as he can. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Doesn't matter, one way or the other. If you're Jewish and circumcised, great. If you're a Gentile and you're not circumcised, it doesn't make any difference. And then he says this, the only thing. Everybody say the only thing. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Hold on, Paul, the only thing? And Paul would say, the only thing. Yeah, okay, <laughs> Paul. I know Bible guys like to speak in hyperbole sometimes. The only thing? Paul would say, the only thing. The only thing? And Paul would say, you're getting it, the only thing. The only thing that matters, the only thing that counts, the only thing of any value is faith expressing itself through love. Yeah, but Paul, what about the 10 commandments? The only thing. Paul, what about all the other commandments? The only thing. Paul, that's a big Old Testament. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. How many things count? One thing counts. What is that thing, Paul? Faith expressing itself through love. Paul, what are you saying? Quit worrying about you and God. You and God are good. You are justified by faith in what Jesus has done for you. He will never love you less. He will never be angry with you again because Jesus absorbed the full anger on the cross. There's no anger left for you. So quit worrying about how God feels about you. He thinks you're a perfect son or daughter and loves you just as if you were, even though you're not yet. You're like, yeah, but I just, I don't know. That's a little uncomfortable. The only thing that matters, he says, so you gotta understand that what matters is the fact that you just start loving your neighbor that you start loving other people. Express your faith through love because the greatest expression of our faith isn't keeping law, it's showing love. And this was brand new. This was new and it was better. So here's the question Paul would say, why are you trying to mix law in with grace? Why are you trying to take the old covenant and put it in with the new covenant? Because Paul would say it's dangerous. Matter of fact, for Paul, he thought it was the most, the most deadly heresy that existed in the first century was to try to mix law and grace, faith and works. He says, you gotta understand you're okay with God because of Jesus. And if you trust anything else, you've made Jesus of no value and you have rejected grace. You've gotta guard against this because if you just let a little bit of this type of thinking in, he says, understand, a little yeast, single-celled fungus, single cell of cancer, it works through the whole batch. You try to take just a little bit of old covenant. You try to take one verse of old covenant and mix it in with the new and the old will overtake the new and law will overtake grace, and you will miss and lose the thing that makes the new covenant better than the old. Because a little of the old thing will overtake all of the new thing in time, and Paul was so upset about it and offended by it, and so this is what he says, he's brothers and sisters. If I'm still preaching circumcision, if I preach that you have to be circumcised in order to follow Jesus, then I wanna ask you a question. 
Why am I still being persecuted? Why am I still being persecuted? In other words, Paul says, if I would just tell Gentiles that they had to keep the law of Moses, then I would get all these Jewish people off my back. All these Jewish religious people want me dead. They think of me, they see red. Because they understand that I'm telling Gentiles they don't have to keep the law of Moses and they hate me for it. They want me dead for it. And Paul says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If I just tell the Gentiles they gotta keep the law, then I have removed the offense of the cross. You know what is so offensive about the cross? Because the cross marked the end of the temple. It marked the end of sacrifices. It marked the end of the priesthood. It marked the end of ancient Judaism for Jesus' followers. And they found that understandably offensive. Chris Otham, one of the early church fathers, he said the thing that was so offensive about the cross, the thing that was so offensive about the cross was the fact that it removed the ancestral laws from being an obligation. And if you don't believe me, you can believe what Acts chapter six says about Stephen. In Acts chapter six, it says about Stephen that he was killed, the first martyr of the church, he was killed because he spoke against the temple and because he spoke against the law. And Paul says, that's the offense of the law. And so he goes on and he says, as for those agitators who's teaching this, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. In other words, you think it pleases God to cut a little bit of it off? Why don't you really please him and cut the whole thing off? Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's in there. So you would read your Bible if they would have just told you this stuff was in there. He says, this is logical. If you think you can please him by keeping a little bit of the law, then you got to go the whole way. You got to go the whole way. Because nothing concerned Paul more than the mixing of the old covenant with the new law and grace. And keep in mind, this came from a former Pharisee. This came from a scholar of the law, a man who loved the law so much that in the beginning he had committed his life to stomping out Christianity. And now he says, oh my gosh, this is so horrible to tell people this. We undermine the significance of what Jesus did because of this. So he says, you, my brothers and sisters, you're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. It's like, Paul, I'm so confused. I'm free, but now you're telling me I'm not free to do whatever I want to do? Paul would say, yep. Freedom isn't a license to sin, Paul would say. Freedom from the law does not mean that you have been set free to lawlessness. Just because you don't have to keep the law and you're not under the law does not mean that you get to be lawless and do whatever you want to do with whoever you want to do it, however you want to do it. You can't be loose with your morality. Paul says, that's not what I'm saying, and you misunderstand grace if you try to make it about that. Grace is not the right to return to sin. Because sin is what hurts you, and sin is what hurts others, and sin is what hurts the heart of God, and grace does not give you the freedom to hurt you, and it does not give you the freedom to hurt anybody else, and it does not give you the freedom to hurt the heart of your heavenly Father. So he says, you are my brothers and sisters. You're free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. In other words, you can sin as much as you want to as long as you don't harm yourself or anyone else. 
what he says. But here's what we know. You can't sin and not hurt you. And you can't sin and hurt other people, not hurt other people. And you can't sin and not hurt the heart of your heavenly father. And Paul says, you can sin as much as you want to, as long as you don't hurt you or hurt anybody else. It's like, I don't think I can do that, Paul would say. Exactly. And then he says this, he says, for the entire law, that old thing, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I'm going to say something, and don't get mad at me. But here's how I know that Christians don't get this. Because we spend so much of our time speaking about the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments in schools and the Ten Commandments at the courthouse and getting the Ten Commandments on postcards and let's put it on the back of cars and let's put it on the billboard. Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments. But Paul said, you can save a whole bunch of marble and a whole lot of print cost if you'll just put one up. And one fulfills all of them. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, you'll keep the whole law if you'll just do that. You don't have to obsess about all the 10 and all the hundreds of other laws because if you'll love your neighbor as yourself, here's the kicker, you'll end up fulfilling all of the law. What? And he's saying to his Jewish brothers and sisters, we had it the whole time. It was there the whole time in the law and the prophets. But we got so distracted and obsessed with the extent of the law that we ignored the intent of the law. But when we understand the intent of the law, and Paul says the intent of the law is to love your neighbors yourself. All of the laws that were back there way back then, the point, the application, the take home was always the same. Love your neighbor as yourself. And when you understand the intent of the law, the extent of the law begins to make more sense. Because when you lead with, when you lead with valuing the intent of the law, not the extent of the law, freedom and clarity will follow. Everything begins to make sense. And so Paul, he, he would write another letter, and here's how, he, this is where we end it. He would say to Christians just like us, because of all of this, because of what we said, let no debt remain outstanding. That means pay all your bills on time. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love. Love one another. Why, Paul? For whoever loves others has fulfilled what? The law. Even though you've been set free from the law, you have no moral responsibility to the law, you're not under the law of Moses, but if you love others as you love yourself, Paul says, the added benefit is, it's as if you were keeping the whole law. So where do you get that from, Jesus? They asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? He said, love God, love people. And then he said this, all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. In other words, if how you read and interpret the Old Testament, the law of Moses, if how you read and interpret it allows you to mistreat, disrespect, malign, and unlove, anybody, you missed the point of the Old Testament. You missed the point of the law and the prophets. Don't get obsessed with all this, the prophetic voice of thus saith the Lord and crying out. That was old covenant. You are not here to cry out. You are here to love. 
and to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you do that, you understand that was the intent all along. And if you try to read the law, if you try to cite the law, if you try to recall the law, if you try to quote the law, if you try to interpret the Old Testament in any way that allows you to mistreat, disrespect, unlove anybody, Paul and Jesus both say, you don't have a clue what you're talking about because you missed the point of the whole thing. Because from the very beginning, God wanted us to love him and to prove it and demonstrate it by loving one another. And Jesus was so clear when he said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And though you don't have to keep the law, you can keep the law. Though you don't have to keep the law, you have been set free from keeping the law. But Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. I give you a better commandment. And when you love one another as you love yourself, you are fulfilling the law. Say, well, I would like to have some lists. I would like to have some commandments because we operate better that way, don't we? It's like, this is not altogether clear. I don't know what that means on Monday. I don't know what it means to love my neighbor as myself. What does that mean on Friday night? What does that mean Saturday night? What does that mean? I need a verse. I need Jesus to say something about it. I need Paul to call it out clearly. I need a list. Paul said, okay, let me give you a list. The commandments. You should not commit adultery. That's out of the 10. You should not murder. That's out of the 10. You should not steal. That's out of the 10. You shall not covet. That's out of the 10. And then he says, and whatever other commandments there may be, they are summed up this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says this, don't miss this. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Paul says, I'm not gonna give you a list. We're not gonna give you a bunch of commands to check off. But what you have in this new covenant is a better commandment. And this new commandment of I want you to love one another as I have loved you. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. It is new and it is better. Because in the old covenant, neighbor wasn't extensive. There was clean and unclean and the unclean was not your neighbor. There was those who were allowed to come close and those who had to stay far away. There were people that you could unlove and there were people you could disrespect and there were people you could miss, people that you could, you know, malign with your words and with your tone and with your rhetoric and with your religion. But Paul says, now the test of what you should do or not do is does it harm you? Does it harm anybody else? And he says, love the way that Jesus has taught us to love and commanded us to love does no harm. Let me tell you what sin always does. You know this, I know this. Sin always harms me. You think about it. Every time you decided to cross the line that you knew you shouldn't have crossed, you paid a price for it. And a little part of you died because the wages of sin is death and came guilt, then came shame, Then you felt far from God. Then you began to wonder, did God love me and God and all this? And he says, you can't sin without it hurting you. And you can't sin without it hurting somebody else, the people who care about you and the people who love you. Your wife, your husband, your children, your brother, your sister, the people that you work with. You can't sin. He says, if you'll get this, you'll never lie to anybody. 
Not because you're worried that God's gonna get ticked off at you, because you understand that you can't lie without hurting yourself. And you can't lie to somebody else without hurting them. And if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, we would absolutely eliminate adultery because we wouldn't do that because we would harm ourselves and we would harm that person. We wouldn't force someone to do what they don't want to do because we would hurt them. We wouldn't force somebody to have sex that doesn't wanna have sex and we wouldn't force them to come to a place in their life where they're gonna choose to do something out of pressure that one day is gonna be a regret and I'm gonna be the cause of that regret. I have hurt that person. He says, you'll keep all the commandments if you decide to wake up every day with this desire to not want to hurt you and to not want to hurt anybody else. There's some things you won't say. There are some things you won't do because it'll hurt you and it'll hurt somebody else. But then there will be things that you do and say because it will be best for them and best for you. And so when you don't know what to do, you just begin to think, will it harm me? And will it harm you? And then all of a sudden, we prefer one another over ourselves. And I'm not gonna offend you and hurt you And I'm not going to treat you that way because I'm not gonna harm you. And it's not because I'm worried about me and God. It's because this is what my savior, the one who died for me, this is, he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love one another as I've loved you. I want you to love the unlovable and I want you to forgive the unforgivable. And I don't want you to be jerks I don't want you to be short-tempered. I don't want you to be angry. I don't want you to put your children's wellness at risk. I don't want you to put your marriage at risk. I don't want you to put your finances at risk because it will hurt you and it will hurt somebody else. Because love does no harm. And imagine, imagine, imagine if we got up every day and we approached life like that. You know what it causes us? We think about sin differently forever. We would think about sin different. And all of a sudden we'd understand that I have had all the commandments that I've been set free from replaced with just one. Love my neighbor, all my neighbors, and they're all my neighbors, despite what they believe, despite how they behave, despite what color of skin, despite where they come from in this world, they're my neighbor. You see, Jesus doesn't point us to a law that we are to keep. Jesus points us to a love that we are to show. And following Jesus ultimately, following Jesus isn't about loving everyone around me, though it is. It isn't just about that. It's about loving the one in front of me. So when you leave here, we understand we're supposed to love everyone. But sometimes the hardest one to love is the one right in front of us. And you can't unlove anybody. You can't disrespect and you can't devalue anyone. But if we get this right, I think that the world will begin to look in once again and say, look at how they love one another. We get this right, there's some sin you will walk away from, even when you don't wanna walk away from it. You'll resign that sin because you know that somebody's gonna get hurt 
There's some things you'll start doing because you know to not be doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing, it's hurting you and there's somebody else that's probably being harmed by it. If we get this right, they're gonna look in and they're gonna say, look at how they love one another. And they may not believe initially what we believe, but they'll begin to think that is a better way of life. And I think I might just want some of that. Father, help us to love. It's not easy. It's messy. It's not always clear what we're supposed to do. It's not always clear how we're supposed to handle it. But God, help us to understand that the thing that you have given us is this ethic this command that says, love your neighbor as yourself. So God, help us to live our lives to do no harm to ourselves, to others, and to the heart of our Heavenly Father. Help us to get this right. We believe we can change the world if we do. In Jesus' name.